Welcome to episode 187 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. And I just realized that this episode is coming out on Christmas. So Merry Christmas to those who celebrate and happy holidays and happy new year to everyone. We hope that you're enjoying some time off from work, hopefully. Um, And I am still in the, I have a half day tomorrow and then I am done. (laughs) So we'll see how that goes. We've had many interruptions this week for assemblies and parties and we'll see how many kids I actually see tomorrow. Um, My sister-in-law teaches uh, middle school and she had one class today that nobody showed up. (laughs) That's kind of, I feel like the mood of this week, but I have kind of figured out to lean into it rather than trying to avoid it. So I've been trying to find some fun things to do with my students this week. We've done a lot of Mad Libs. Um, We've done a lot of some stories off of, um, I think it's Storyworth or I can't remember the name of it now, but the um, there's one where the uh, actors read the stories at story story time online. I'm blanking on the name, but yes, you can look that up. Um, we listened to The Coal Thief, I think it was, and mm. Christian Slater reads that one. Oh, that's so, cool. So really nice, like lots of expression in the stories and things like that. So that's been for my language kids. And then for my older kids, I actually stole something from my husband and he just made a video with his students. And it was really neat that they involved multiple departments in the school. So they had like the creative writing class wrote the script and the interior design class did the set for it. And then he had his video students that did the video and they had the drama department try out for the movie. So it was this really cool interdepartment collaboration. Um, but their video that they made was, uh, what was it called? The Procrastinator's Peril. So it was like <laughs> a spin off of um, The Christmas Carol and gotcha. that they have like the ghost of procrastinating past and future <laughs> and present. <laughs> and so, and it was just like a six minute long video. So with my high school students, I actually showed them that video. And then um, a lot of them are working on executive functioning skills. So it like sparked a really good conversation about like what makes you procrastinate and what can you do to overcome those things that make you procrastinate. And it was really fun. And just like kind of, I don't know, having those moments of fun. I think sometimes when we leave that really early childhood, we stop playing with the kids. And Mm -hmm. there's still sometimes that it's fun to play and have fun with them. And I did have this really neat moment today, too, where I um, actually... At a student that I always ask my high school students, like, what are you concerned about? What do you want to work on today to give them more of that autonomy? And we're working on self-advocacy anyway. So that ability to like kind of recognize that in themselves and ask for help. And he was talking about, you know, this is a student who's probably had lifelong therapy and everything. And he was just talking about how hard it is for him to communicate. And I just looked at him and said, I've never had a hard time, like, understanding you, knowing what you were trying to say or communicating with you. And just the way that his face lit up when I said that, I, like, was so happy and then sad at the same time that I haven't been saying that more often. So that's my reminder is just like, tell your kids what they're good at every once in a while too. Cause sure. you know, we do focus on 
what they can't do a lot and fixing what they can't do. So Mm -hmm. find those moments where you can, and it doesn't even have to be something like related to what you're doing in the session, you know, just find something to praise your kids on. And it really does make a difference. I think that's wonderful advice. And, and uh, yeah, I think we get so hung up on trying to meet those goals and Mm -hmm. focus in on all the, all the things you're trying to treat that we forget that sometimes that can just be overwhelming, you yeah. know, and yeah, and maybe have a, a negative impact just on our students' self-concept, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. So yeah, I think that's wonderful advice and and just find things that are always good to talk mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's great. Um on the podcast today uh, for this episode we have laura gillingham and laura is uh, a speech language pathologist who is doing some work with the atlanta speech school working a lot with kids with hearing loss just so happens uh, we have two clinicians that both work with hearing loss back to back in these episodes so uh, current episode that's out is 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 devin Ellswick. And so uh, we now have Laura joining us and she'll share even more. So I'm excited about that. We want to congratulate Presence for reaching the incredible milestone of 6 million remote evaluations and teletherapy sessions. Presence is a pioneer in special education and mental health teletherapy, and they're making a real impact in solving the national shortage of school clinicians with nearly 10,000 pre-K to 12th grade schools supported across the nation. At Presence, they're on a mission to empower schools and clinicians by breaking down the traditional barriers to success through their elevated approach to teletherapy. As a trusted partner and advocate for clinicians since 2009, Presence offers its large community of teletherapy providers access to an award-winning platform with assessment and therapy materials, continuing education, and networking opportunities to help them succeed. Through ongoing clinically-led resources and support, Presence is meeting the needs and creating career opportunities for clinicians today, wherever they are. Presence is teletherapy elevated. Learn more at Presence.com. Well, Laura, welcome to the podcast. Let's talk about your origin story. Where did you grow up and then how did you find uh, speech-language pathology? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here. Um, My background, so I grew up um, in Greenville, South Carolina, I went to the University of South Carolina for my undergraduate degree. I actually got a graduate degree in business and about, goodness, in my third year of business school, um, my niece received a diagnosis um, that prompted me to pursue speech and language pathology. So originally what I was thinking in my mind was doing business as my degree. I also had an undergraduate Um, a a minor in business communications or communications. And I was thinking I might be a speechwriter or something of that sort. I didn't know exactly what it was. Um, And when I typed in speech graduate programs, uh, speech pathology came up and it was almost at the exact same time that my niece was diagnosed. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
so this just sort of opened this whole new world for me where I, um, I continued with my major, but I dropped the minor and I started taking classes in speech pathology at the University of South Carolina. Um, I applied to graduate school, um, got into the University of Virginia, went to graduate school there, um, and I enjoyed it. Um, it was very rigorous and challenging as programs mm-hmm. are, um, but there wasn't anything that stood out to me until I took um, my first my oral rehab class with Lori Bobson, mm-hmm. um, Dr. Lori Bobson. And, you know, I think I had been so discouraged up until that point because nothing, I mean, I, I enjoyed it, but there wasn't that aha moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I was expecting exactly. I was still, you know, I was 22. I was newly married. I was finding my, my way in the world. And mm-hmm. when I sat in that class, I was like, okay, I get it. This is it. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't looked back. So from there, my husband, um, after I graduated, my husband got into a master's program at the University of Texas um, in Austin. So we moved to Austin, um, which was really exciting. And mm-hmm. I think a a moment that really defined who we were as as people, as a couple, um, because we we had moved away from our family on the East Coast. This is the first time we were kind of on an island by ourselves, and we had to really learn and grow um, in that experience. I started off at a clinical fellowship in a school, um, had a sort of a specialized school, and then I switched the fellowship to a private clinic, which is sort of what I had wanted to do, was work more individually with with clients and families. Um, At that point in time, I didn't find any opportunities to work with the deaf and hard of hearing population. So I worked with a woman named um, Brandy Windham, and she owned a clinic that um, combined ABA therapy and speech and language pathology. And I had seen her clinic when I was applying for jobs. And I was hesitant because I had heard um, a lot of stuff about ABA that made me nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, This particular clinic was one of those clinics that did it just so beautifully, really relied on the the insights of the speech and language pathologist, you know, saw the the level of expertise that the ABA therapist could bring, but to a point, same with the speech therapist. So it was a really great um, combination of those two skills. And I learned so much in that experience. I had um, a lot of really intense, um, you know, clients, but it was so rewarding to, mm-hmm. to realize you really felt like, oh, there is an impact that you can make here. Um, from there, we moved to Boston, <laughs> which was quite the uh, weather shift for us uh, mm-hmm. going from Texas to Boston, I will sure. say. Um, culture shock, too. That was mm-hmm. totally different. Um, it reminds you of how big the United States is and how how just any region can bring any any sort of thing. When we moved there, I got a job with the Clark School for Hearing and Speech in Boston. And um, and I was really thankful for that opportunity because it allowed me to work with a population that I was particularly interested in working with. And so was, I had Devin. Was Devin, I'm sorry, was Devin yeah, there? She was, she was. But I think <laughs> I think our past like barely crossed. Like okay. I know her name, we're connected. <laughs> On LinkedIn, I think we 
I think I, I, it's one of those like, yes, we, we might've been ships passing in that in the night. You know, I, I believe gotcha. I worked, them. but then, that wasn't even on purpose that we had yeah. her on last yes. week. And you on yeah. this week. I was like, I know her. Yeah. She's phenomenal, by the way. She's fantastic to work with um, in the little bit that I do remember. And it's also funny because I was thinking about, you know, this pot, the listening spoken language population and, you know, individuals in that specialty in particular. And I recognize so many names that I don't know if I know them because I've taken a continuing ed with them and I see their name pop up mm-hmm. or if I've right. met them. Yeah. But it's such a small community. I know because of speech therapy is a small community and um, the whole AVT world is even smaller. <laughs> yeah. Very it true. feels like, you know, everyone Yeah. Um, from Boston, we I'm trying to get my my order here. Yes. From Boston, we moved to Atlanta and I was expecting my first child at this point. Um, Mm. I did at that time, I did a few contract jobs with some teletherapy companies. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was sort of my first exposure. Uh, Well, no, Clark, I did. That's actually wrong. Clark, I did a significant amount of teletherapy. Um, They had a T visit program. So I was involved in that and I saw many, many families through that. So that was a fantastic experience. And then I did a little bit of telehealth when we moved there. And then it was sort of like, I think it's time to get a job, full-time job. Um, And so I applied to the Atlanta speech school Mm -hmm. and um, I, I filled out the application. I got an interview. I got the job. And I can honestly say that that is a pivotal moment in sure. my career. Um, mm-hmm. The individuals that work at the Atlanta Speech School, I I can't speak highly enough about. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point in my career, I, I think I was feeling disillusioned a little bit with um, the red tape and insurance and all of this kind of stuff. And I was feeling really lost and sort of frustrated. I knew I loved working with this population. Um, but it just sort of felt like there were a lot of barriers, especially for families who weren't able to fully access care um, in the way that they they should. So that was that was where I was at that point. And then the speech school sort of came in and I was like, whoa, <laughs> these are um, incredible people. It's you know, they have a whole research team and they have a huge yeah. emphasis on literacy and learning and um impacting the community at large and i when i worked with these individuals it was incredible because they so strongly believed in what they were doing mm-hmm. and i had um i'd worked with some really phenomenal professionals but you know in doing prn jobs or whatever I had I had run into some professionals who were just like, eh, just do it, just do the session and just get it over yeah. with, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I that was disappointing to me because I sure. felt like there had to be a certain standard of um, the way that therapy sessions are, <laughs> you know, given. And so sure. going to the speech school and having that, um, it challenged me mm-hmm. constantly on a day. I felt like I was learning and growing constantly, but it's. Um, reignited my my love of the field which i'm so thankful for and so now i work um covid happened they didn't have a a teletherapy program and then as many programs uh covid happened and they were sort of 
the, the program, they did to some degree at right. some teletherapy services. That is not totally true, but COVID, I think, sort of kickstarted it. And um, then we, I now am back in Virginia, but I am working um, for the Atlanta Speech School doing um, teletherapy services, um, which has worked out really, really nicely. So I still get to be connected to that team that I just love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm able to be closer to to family. When when did you move back to Virginia? We moved in 2022. So were you there when I had to Atlanta Speech School when I came down? It was right yes, before COVID. Yes, yes, I was. Were well, you, this is funny because you came into my classroom. And oh, okay. Yes, and you wa- you watched, and you know I was singing, and you left, and I was like. I don't remember what word it was, but it was a word that I had written on the board. And I was like, that is spelled completely the wrong way. <laughs> like, we're this school and I'm, I, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it was fine. <laughs> it wasn't. They were showing me the best and the brightest teachers and, and, and clinicians there. So I, I just kind of assumed, yeah. <laughs> that was what was happening. Just don't look at the board, you know. Just don't look at how they spell things. <laughs> that would be me too. Yes. <laughs> it's because we're yeah. so good at phonology, right? We that's want right. to spell everything phonetically, and that's why we can't spell. <laughs> I should use that now. That's what I'll tell That's the reason. There, <laughs> I gave you a reason. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, yeah, just don't know me. That, yeah, I was there in it's fall of 19, and then COVID hit. You know, mm-hmm. twenty, uh, spring of twenty. So yeah, and uh, I remember uh, talking with Kathy Newburn and saying mm-hmm. how everyone is having to do telepractice, and and uh, especially the birth to three, but also mm-hmm. the older kids too. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. What a small world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, and so, you guys are. We're back in Virginia now, but you're still working for the Atlanta Speech School doing telepractice. Right. Yep. Yep. I have um, I had my third child in 2022. And um, so I'm working a few hours a week. It's I've just been really thankful for for the opportunity. Just I mean, just the plethora of resources that they have alone mm. is amazing. I, I think they're definitely one of the best programs in the country i mean there are a lot of wonderful wonderful excellent programs around the country i think i would have to put uh the atlanta speech school up there with with pretty pretty far at the top <laughs> top five i would say at least and and they're all you know pretty pretty good so i've i've always thought uh, what they were doing there was just very very special mm-hmm. and and then the the professionals there, you know, I agree, the second to none. I mean, they're just incredible people. Yeah, absolutely. So you so, mentioned some of the resources they have. What um, resources have you found helpful in either doing teletherapy or in general? So honestly, the biggest resource is the openness of the staff to provide resources. Um, I could certainly provide you with you know, the spice or the castles or whatever resources that are particularly helpful. Um, But I think just the attitude of willingness to help and Mm -hmm. 
um, humbleness that I have seen in so many of my staff members um, Mm -hmm. has, I think it has really changed my, um, the way that I approach the therapeutic process in that I see myself as a learner now constantly. Um, And I have to, because when you work in that type of environment and you are constantly surrounded by these people who just have so much knowledge, um, you there isn't a ton of room for um, feeling like you're the best <laughs> because you probably aren't, and that's okay. That's fine. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, we do one thing that I really appreciate is that um, Erica, um, her last name was changed, um, and I cannot remember it, but uh, the, the head of this, the ham center at the speech school, which mm-hmm. focuses on working with children who are deaf and hard of hearing, she emails staff, um, of our AV program, right? Auditory verbal program. And, um, just says if anyone has anything they want to share or have questions for, um, send it out. We send it out. Sometimes we'll do staffings. I found mm-hmm. that to be invaluable. And I think the method in which the staffings are done is is so incredibly helpful too. So I find I found in the past that sometimes what will happen is if you have a student or an individual on the caseload who is in, you know, the therapist is in need of some additional resources, the conversation can kind of meander and oh, the student, you know, it can kind of become a little gossipy and not really productive. So the way right. that they at the speech school, um, manage staffings as they have a staffing form, which many programs I'm sure do, um, staffing form. And then you list which professionals you would like to come to the meeting. And then the meeting is, there's a specific time allowed for the meeting. So you really have to be efficient in communicating what exactly the issue is and what exactly you're struggling with. And you have to be available to, you know, critique, criticism, um, and so I found that to be different than, you know, past experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned too, that you had worked for some contracting companies too. And I feel like that's kind of like the piece that's missing from a lot of contract companies versus working for an individual and like smaller company or private clinic. And I know that some are like trying to recreate it, but Mm -hmm. I just, I like the fact that you said like, I can find that in the contract companies that I work for, but I have to go out and find it. I could find someone that would help me, but I'd have to look for them and ask them. And I like the way that you said that it's just like a standard, like, hey, anyone who needs this, hop on. This is how we have a protocol for this. And so no one's feeling like they're burdening someone else, I guess, Mm -hmm. by asking for help. Yeah, absolutely. And would you mind uh, just sharing a little more information about the literacy projects that are going on? Because isn't isn't there a, a or has been a big push at the state level in Georgia? There has been, although I admittedly will probably not do it justice. Um, I know it's literacy and justice for all uh, is the is the catchphrase, but they have the Atlanta Speech School. So it consists of different schools within the school at large. They have their mm-hmm. Keenan preschool, um, right. which services just the, the community. They have um, the Stepping Stones program, um, which is for children with different types of, of language articulation um, concerns. 
They have um, their ward law school, which is primarily focused on dyslexia, among other things, but that's primary focus. And then the ham mm-hmm. school, ham center, which is um, for children who are deaf or hard of hearing. The other program is, um, is their Rollins Center. And that sort of houses the Cox campus, which is, mm-hmm. um, I would call it a uh, continuing education resource center for teachers and professionals and parents, um, among hundreds of other things that they do that I, again, will not give justice to. I know that they, um, at the Rollins Center, the, they have individuals who go out into the community to tr- specifically train um providers and, um, you know, daycare centers, you name it, schools on effective ways to promote literacy and language, um, because Mm -hmm. that is just, you know, a a massive challenge um, just across the board. I mean, Georgia, but of course, the United States at large. And so the Cox campus um, provides a resource that can not only reach the state of Georgia, but beyond. So again, just sort of this thinking of the school beyond just it's me and my ideas, but there's, there's a bigger um, mission at large. And um, it's just, just even hearing the, the leaders of that school talk about it can give me chills. (laughs) I mean, they're just so passionate about it. Um, Sure. And you can't not be all in if you're at that type of, of school. Right. I, I've always thought that, you know, ultimately literacy is is the crowning achievement for what we do. I mean, if we can give the child enough language and comprehension and, you know, both, you know, receptive and expressive language so that they can be literate, mm-hmm. then that's that's sort of the icing on the cake. Uh, that we all should be working toward. Absolutely. So I, I've I've always thought that, and and I know they've had these you know statewide programs before, and and I knew the Atlanta Speech School was a big part of that, um, and a lot of the materials and efforts there at the school was you know that I've some that I saw and heard about was always very impressive what they were doing. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> you mentioned. Um, so you're working with Atlanta Speech School still. And so what's your caseload looking like now? Small. <laughs> <laughs> Small. Intentionally. Intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> Intentionally. I stay at home with my kids right now. So I see only a few families a week. Um, I work primarily in early intervention, although I have had some adult clients on my caseload. Um, which I've, I've loved. I would say that, you know, if I had to pinpoint, you know, an age, I love working with little babies, but I also really like working with adults. And the reason is just that parent coaching or that coaching piece mm-hmm. um, that is just so rewarding um, to see people really come into to their own confidence and, um, mm-hmm. you know, have their own story to tell and the way that they approach things. Uh, that's my favorite, favorite part of the, about the job. What if um, we were kind of talking with Devin a little bit about this in the last episode, but uh, some of the challenges that sometimes happens with different learning styles with parents. Uh, have Have you seen, you know, the variety of different learning styles and how would you approach some of those? I think 
you have, I think the biggest thing for me has been to leave ego at the door. <laughs> I like that. Um, mainly because I think if you approach, or at least this has been my experience, if I approach a circumstance, especially over teletherapy from what can, what can I learn from this situation, then it's a lot easier for me to see the perspective of mm -hmm. the parent um, and, and why they're communicating the way they're communicating and allows me to have less judgment in the process. Um, I think also, you know, I, in the past year, I've had my own experiences. My, my daughter was born prematurely. And I think that completely changed my perspective on how to approach parents through mm -hmm. the therapeutic process. Um, I, we, she, my daughter is currently in early intervention and, and sees a multitude of doctors, you know, multiple times a month, week, you name it. Sure. <laughs> And, uh, and it's, it's really opened my eyes to how, what a horrible job I was doing in some ways when I was, <laughs> um, and I think that I, I mean, it's not that I'm a, I'm, I, I did, I think I performed therapy adequately, but I certainly don't think I performed empathy adequately mm -hmm. at all. Um, especially, you know, as I've worked with my own, my own daughter, it, when you're a parent and it, it feels like you constantly go to these appointments and it's like, wrong, wrong, this is wrong, fix this, wrong, bad, mm -hmm. wrong, mm -hmm. it'd be like really discouraging. Um, sure. And I come from a background where I understand the jargon. I understand the lingo. I know how to talk to insurance companies. Mm -hmm. And so working with families, especially families who've just had a diagnosis of hearing loss, you know, a profound hearing loss. I, I just try to take those first few sessions slow mm -hmm. and just get a sense of like, what do you love about your kid? What's the best thing about your kid? Mm -hmm. And building those relationships, I found having that foundation of trust carries on mm -hmm. so much more than oh and here's this resource um right. you know regardless of parental style we can get to the resources as, right. depending on the the parental style but especially to start out just taking it slow ego at the door <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and I love how you talked about that and just like I think that we see such a small window of our families in that, you know, like hour a week, or if you're in Utah, it's a month, one hour a month <laughs> that we, yep, that we, we see those families and we're giving them all these ideas. And then like, you know, they have a day where nobody woke up on time and, and everything's a mess. And just like the, we have this picture perfect of like, you will just do what I'm telling you to because I'm the professional and it will all work out. Mm -hmm. And if you do this, then everything will be great. And then real yep. life hits everybody. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I certainly understand your uh, your own personal uh, growth with with parenting, but also having a child that was born prematurely. My my daughter was born prematurely 30 years ago. Um, one pound, 12 ounces at birth uh 26 weeks gestation wow 
so 30 years ago, most of those kids didn't survive. And, and she, but she did, and she's doing great. She's uh, married and is a school nurse down in Florida with her husband and is expecting our first grandchild. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> but, but I do, I do remember the time because my wife is also a, a speech language pathologist, and we were like, you know, trying to do all the stuff too. But she got early intervention services, and it was, mm-hmm. it was, and that was very interesting and helped to inform me as uh, uh, how to work with parents. And, and I experienced as the father of the male of not sort of being included mm-hmm. in a lot of things that the people would come to the home. They would look at my wife. They wouldn't really look at me. <laughs> um, you know, so it was, it was almost like the assumption was, Oh, he's, he's the father. He's not going to be involved. He's not going to do these things. Yeah. But once they learned that, you know, I, I worked with, pediatrics and i was a speech pathologist and that's what i wanted to do and i wanted to be included you know it, you know it changed but it's those assumptions that happen uh that help inform me uh that uh, and to to sort of do that own check with myself that i don't do those same things mm-hmm. um that's why when i when i work you know with families and the mother and the father is are there or, or whoever's there Make sure I'm, I'm looking and including everyone who's there yeah. uh, and, and making eye contact and, and, and asking questions and, and doing all that. And, and, but that whole experience certainly informed me and, and made me a much better clinician going forward. That was for sure. Yeah, I think it also informed me of just the monumental effort it can be for families to make these sessions happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm certainly not saying that um, I, you know, you want to promote any sort of no shows. I think that consistent therapy is important. I, I think it is very important. Um, but I, I did not have as much empathy for that until I had two other sick children and a son, you know, trying to climb on counters at three and sure. a blow out a diaper and suddenly. Mm-hmm. I'm holding all these balls and I'm like, there, there's more coming in. It's, oh, here's this other doctor's appointment. Oh, here's this, here's that, here's that. And then one falls and you're like, I'm just trying to like stay above water here. And this is what I, I have. So it also, I think, made me feel, um, made me feel passionate about recognizing if there were additional needs that people needed that I couldn't as the therapist provide and seeking opportunities to provide resources that may be helpful for other individuals. Um, whether that be, you know, seeking out information from coworkers or, you know, finding continued education courses or, um, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, um, just from my own experience, because it is, it can be a lot. Mm-hmm. Sure can. <laughs> I certainly know. And you know as well. So I definitely get it. Yeah, we had our second child, uh, our son, five years later, because we, we were like, we can't go through this again. And for, we need to recover from the first one. Uh, yep. And, and, and Jordan, we keep him locked in the basement now. So he's, he's doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's our running joke he's he's our 
audio video production person. So he, yeah. he helps with yep. putting all the episodes together. Um, so Laura, I think it's time for our moment of Zen. And you said you've been listening to some episodes. Have you heard the moment of Zen? I have heard the moment of Zen. Okay. I don't know if I feel Zen, but maybe I will by the end. Oh, it's, by the end. I think it's only feels. Zen for us, or maybe the <laughs> listeners too. It's never the person we're interviewing who feels the Zen. <laughs> oh, it'll be Zen-like by the time yeah. we finish. Um, which list do you want, A, B, or C? Uh, let's do B. B. Okay, here we go. Our 10 questions. Would you describe yourself as an introvert or an extrovert? I would say I'm an introvert. Many people say I'm an extrovert because I like to talk <laughs> <laughs> in certain circumstances. It's a but... professional <laughs> hazard that happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I definitely would say I'm an introvert. I need that time. I agree. Me too. Um, what's the best compliment you've received? I remember one day in church, I, my son, who's three, was having a full-blown meltdown. My daughter was struggling. Everybody was having a hard time. It was raining. Sure. It was disgusting outside. My hair looked horrible. And I went downstairs and one woman came up to me and she said, yeah, I know. It's hard. You're doing a good job. <laughs> and I, I said, Thank you. And then I went over to the water fountain and I cried. Yep. <laughs> that would have been my next stop too. <laughs> yeah. But that was really helpful because I just felt like I was failing at mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. Someone was like, oh, no, you're not. I'm like, good. That's a good reminder too, that when we see people in that situation to say, say those things that we're thinking and say them out loud. I like that. Yeah, that is good. And it just reminded me of a, uh, a quick story, but Judy Simser, who, who a great uh, AV therapist, but her son uh, had a hearing loss and became a lawyer. He's doing great. But Judy, would, uh, when he would have a tantrum, she always had a little, uh, like a paperback book in her purse or with her. And she said, well, while you do that, I'm going to keep reading. And she would just <laughs> stand there and read until he settled down. <laughs> Or she would, you know, like if he's in the car seat or something, and she's it out, I just pull over in the parking lot. I just pull out my book. <laughs> <laughs> she does have the Zen. <laughs> and so she's, I, know, I aspire to that level of Zen. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, when you're finished, then we can go. We can do what we want, want to do, but not until you're finished. So I always thought that was kind of cool. Um, Next question is, what is your greatest fear? These are so uh, deep. Mm. I mean, probably losing family would be sure. would be the greatest fear. Um, I think especially adding a third to the mix, uh, it does feel like you're 100% on 100% of the time. And so uh, especially with a three-year-old um any three-year-old, but I have a, sure. a particularly active three-year-old boy. <laughs> um, I came in on him 
two days ago, actually, he had gotten into our daughter's path and play and he had found like child scissors and he was like, I'm going to cut her hair. And I was like, no, (laughs) that's, but that's like constant, you know, and Mm -hmm. everything was fine. But yeah. So you think about those things. Yeah. That's what my brother-in-law said that going from two kids to three kids, you switch from man on man defense to zone defense. (laughs) (laughs) And locking all the scissors and away. locking and, everything. And, yep, yep. Have uh, it we, have, out. <laughs> we have a lot of Barbies lately that have had some haircuts that were <laughs> not intentional on my part. <laughs> that the Barbies got haircuts. I'll just like randomly find like a pile of hair on the floor in my daughter's room, and I'm like, "Well, somebody else got a haircut. Luckily, it's only been her once. <laughs> so we're good." <laughs> yep. <clears throat> Jordan used to do that to Caitlin's stuff. So. Having the older sister, he would be the younger brother, and always yep. doing stuff like that. Yeah, but I have three. I have three kids as well, so I get the the zone defense. <laughs> Everybody is totally okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mom, exactly. dad, maybe. Yep. <laughs> um, what do people misunderstand most about you? Um. I think that I find that some people don't expect me to enjoy uh, the nerdy things that I enjoy as much as I do. So that surprises people sometimes. I mean, I love The Legend of Zelda. I love video games. I mean, video games, you name it. I am all about listening to concert band music. I mean, I was a band geek. and. so I think sometimes that surprises people. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes now that I'm getting older, I think I, I just say the things I like. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's probably one of the things. You're you're a closeted nerd. That's right. Right. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> no effort made now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which superpower would you choose to have? Oh, this was a good Speaking one. Speaking of nerdish. Answer. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. So I have always thought that Mystique's powers were cool. Mm. More because I am just, I would be fascinated to see what people are like when they're comfortable. And so if I could interact with them and be like, what are they actually like because sometimes you get a certain people act a certain way around certain people yeah certain Mm -hmm. version of them but that's not that's more just curiosity i think practically i would love just to be able to think and go anywhere i want anytime i want like oh i I really want that taco in texas (laughs) (laughs) that one restaurant (laughs) that's and that's only where it is you know so i gotta go there that would be fantastic awesome if I changed that and said, um, which video game character would you like to be? None. None. <laughs> <laughs> Too much peril. <laughs> Chances to die. <laughs> None. I, I much prefer being in control of the situation. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite quote or motto? That you like? 
Um, I mean, of course, it's not coming to my mind, but um, Eleanor Roosevelt had a good one. I can maybe see, but um, yeah, I don't know. Let me think. She had a lot of them. I know so many. I would just say Eleanor Roosevelt quotes. I mean, I don't, I, I can't find it off the top of my head, but I, sure. I think she has. I liked her um, persona, I yeah. would say. She was ahead of her time and a lot of mm -hmm. social issues, which, yeah, I admire what she, what she did. Um, which era of history would you like to have lived in? I think I do like the modern conveniences of now. <laughs> sure. Um, but I I think it would be very cool to go, you know, Middle Ages, kings and queens, somewhere in that, without the plague. Uh, <laughs> just yeah, to avoid see, the plague, yeah. Yeah, you know what is what is court life like? Mm. What is what what is it? Is it like the? It's not, but is it like the period dramas? It, you know, mm -hmm. that would be really interesting because I think that's my like Wikipedia rabbit hole. Just okay, who's who's the next king? Who's the next king? Who's the next <laughs> pope? Who's the next pope? <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, what makes you laugh the most? I think my kids make me laugh a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, but they they make me laugh a lot. Sometimes I will just turn on a comedian um, mm -hmm. Netflix special that usually sure. will get me going um, pretty hard. And I also would say my sisters. I I have three other sisters, and I just think they just make me laugh really. <laughs> They're just really funny people. Awesome. Um, do you have a hack that you've discovered? And could be work-related, could be house-related, could be anything. Strap the three-year-old in the stroller when you go to doctor's appointments. <laughs> <laughs> and strap down his arms and hands, right? <laughs> Like yeah, a street I mean, jacket. Not, right. <laughs> we don't, maybe not that level, but you know, maybe, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you think you don't need the stroller, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Always have the stroller. Always have the stroller. I'm still holding on to mine and my oldest will be, my youngest will be five. <laughs> Um, and I'm like, no, we're not getting rid of the stroller. There are still <laughs> places where I want to be able to strap her. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I get it. So last question is, if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I would say. Um, I have never I haven't given this much thought. Um Honestly, I am I am a Christian though. And so I think 
I don't know that I expect him to say anything, uh, but I would expect that I would be praising him. So I don't know. I haven't really given that much thought. <laughs> Maybe I awesome. should. <laughs> no, I like I like that answer. It's yeah. it's different. I yeah. like it. Just take whatever is there. Just not not the down escalator. The, uh, the up. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right, right. Well, Laura, thank you for joining us on the podcast and uh, and best of luck. Continue to work with the Atlanta Speech School and everything that you're doing and do plan to come back and give us an update in the future. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Laura, for joining us on the podcast and learning more about the Atlanta Speech School, which I think is just a wonderful program, as I mentioned in the podcast. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing with young children with hearing loss and their families and early intervention and literacy, all very important, obviously, for this population. And thank you for listening to this episode. If you don't mind, leave us that five-star review. That always helps us attract new listeners. And as you listen to this, this should be the week of Christmas. And I hope you all have a very happy holiday, a very Merry Christmas, and however you decide to celebrate or not celebrate. Regardless, I hope you have a wonderful season and we're going to look forward to a wonderful new year as well, which will be coming up. And until next time, until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. 